Jesus was teaching to a group of people when this crowd of men rushed up to him, dragging this woman alongside of him. They threw her at his feet and said, Jesus, solve this dilemma. We caught this woman in the act of adultery, and the law says that we stone her. What say you? Jesus didn't respond right away. He got down on a knee and started drawing something in the sand. After a few tense moments, he looked up and said, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. Went back to drawing. After a little while longer, he got back up and noticed that everyone had vanished. And he asked the woman, he said, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She said, no. And he said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Whether or not we grew up in a church, uh, we know the Bible very well, or, or whether or not we know anything about Jesus and his teaching, I'm guessing each and every one of us in some form have heard this story because it's one of the greatest morality illustrations we have. It teaches us how we are to treat the people who harm us. You know, as Christians, we are taught that we are not supposed to throw stones. In fact, we are to turn the other cheek. But if I'm being honest, turning the other cheek kind of sucks. I mean, let's be honest. Let's just think about it for a second. When somebody wrongs you and hurts you, you are supposed to say, okay, I forgive you. Just don't worry about it. Go on your merry way. That doesn't feel good, does it? No, I think a lot of us actually hate The idea that we have to forgive as Christians and good people. In fact, I would believe that some of us uh, have a fear of forgiveness. And over the next few weeks, we're going to dive into this series all about different fears that we have. And and some of them have, you know, scientific definitions for them. Some of them don't. And you may be thinking, well, fear of forgiveness, that's, that's just irrational, Uh, Well, it's true, but there are a lot of irrational fears that we have. They're actually called phobias, and some of them are pretty legit. Uh, You think there's arachnophobia, which is the fear of spiders. Uh, There's acrophobia, which is the fear of heights. And and we all know someone who has a fear of one of those two things. We understand those, and then some of them are a little less uh, well-known or or maybe legitimate. Uh, There's gatophobia, which is the fear of cats. Uh, you know, I actually wonder if some people hate them so much because they're actually terrified by cats. Uh, I'm not going to ask them that, though. Uh, and then, of course, there's some very common ones like hippopotamonstrosocopodelophobia, which is the fear of big words. Uh, someone thought that was smart, uh, apparently. Uh, but there's all of these irrational fears that we have, and over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about them, and today we are talking about our fear of forgiveness and, and and you may tell yourself and tell me, no, 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 that, that's not me. I don't, I don't fear forgiving at all. Well, I, just, I have a few questions to, to see if, if maybe 
Um, you do, actually. Uh, you know, are, are you uh, constantly bringing up somebody in a conversation, uh, criticizing or commenting on something they do or say in any given day? Is there somebody that uh, you end up talking a lot about in, in more than likely a negative time? Uh, is there people that you ignore or avoid altogether, or maybe places that you avoid? Does your demeanor change uh, when someone gets brought up in a conversation or where they enter a room? Are you constantly reliving moments in your life that caused pain and thinking about how that person uh, wronged you or, or how that affected your life? Or if we're really honest with ourselves, uh, do you hear about someone who's struggling and you secretly rejoice about it? Um, now you could be, again, you could be telling yourself, that's not me, I'm a good person. Um, well, the truth is, I think a lot of us have struggled with these things and it's fear. And it all comes out of the fact that, that we fear uh, what we don't know. And I would make the argument that uh, we actually misunderstand forgiveness. Uh, the, the Bible has six different words in Hebrew and in Greek that they all use to define what forgiveness means. And when you boil all of those down, uh, forgiveness means this, to set free. We are taught by the Bible that if somebody wrongs us, we are to set that person free. And it's focusing on the person, not what they did, but the person, the individual, is how we are supposed to handle the hurt and the pain, and that's what we are forgiving. Somewhere along the line, however, uh, we seem to have bought into a different idea of what forgiveness is. I actually think there's a really good uh, example. It's from a movie from the 1950s. It's called The Jackie Robinson Story. If you don't know anything about Jackie Robinson, he's one of the most important figures in our time. Uh, he was the first black man to play Major League Baseball, and it just sent waves in our country and society at that time. And, and so this movie is just giving a scene in, in where the manager is trying to figure out how Jackie will handle different situations and different pressures when he's actually playing on the field. So he sets this scene up um, and where he says, what happens if, if you get punched right in the cheek in the middle of the game? And Jackie's response is, well, I've got two cheeks. And we're all supposed to love that. I mean, that is a great, inspiring phrase that we should all learn from. And it does come from the Bible. In Matthew, it tells us this, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is that somebody's uh, harsh words should not change what we think about ourselves. It shouldn't affect who we are, and so we should just be able to turn the other cheek because it doesn't mean anything. That's not exactly how we see it anymore. I grew up with a, a lot of siblings, and so we're constantly playing and, of course, fighting, and then someone hurts the other one, and so we always run to mom, and uh, I, re I remember going to my mom a lot and saying, like, hey, they did this to me, and my mom's response was always the same, well, you should turn the other cheek. Are you kidding me? Like, they just, they just did this to me. Like, are you not going to do anything? We're just going to pretend like it's okay. Like, okay, we're just going to ignore it? Fine. So I tell her, okay, I'll turn the other cheek. And normally there would be two red cheeks. One would be on my face, the other on theirs. I didn't like being told turn the other cheek because what I was hearing was, hey, pretend like it didn't happen. Don't acknowledge that this person hurts you. But we don't like having to pretend like we're not in pain. Somebody hurt me and I want someone to know. We feel like we're not heard, that nobody cares. And that becomes the new misunderstanding with forgiveness. And that's this misunderstanding is that turning the other cheek means losing your voice. 
And none of us like to feel like we don't have a voice, that we can't say something or, or that people are ignoring us or just straight up not acknowledging that we've been hurt or wronged. We don't like that getting taken away from us. And we feel like we're not valuable enough. You know, I was talking to a, a couple the other day who were going through some marriage counseling, and, and one of them said something that we've all heard, and, and I'm sure a lot of us live by, but that is, well, I forgive and forget. Uh, forgive and forget. We've all heard that before, and uh, if you ever want to know well, where did that even come from, uh, so William Shakespeare was actually the one who wrote Forgive and Forget in a play of his, but he got it from the Bible. Uh, it's from Jeremiah, and it God was saying this, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. It's God telling his people, I'm going to forgive you, and I will literally throw your sins away, never to remember again. And we should love that. We should love the fact that God can do that, and, and we don't have to worry about him remembering all the bad things we've done, and it feels so good. The only glitch in that is he can do it because he's God. We can't. I mean, do honestly, try to forget something, it doesn't work out that way. You decide, okay, I'm just going to forget about this. You end up thinking about it all the time. There was this game that, that I used to play in college, and it was simply called The Game. And if you've ever played it, I apologize that I just ruined it for you, but the entire object of the game was to not think about the game. And, and when you would, when eventually you would think, oh, the game, you would have to announce to the entire room, I just lost the game. And so it was always this battle to try and get somebody to remember it, uh, just to make them lose, but then you would always end up losing. So what I would do is I would write notes in their textbooks saying, the game, and I would wait for them to come back and be like, oh, that, the, you shouldn't have done that, that's not fair, and it never happened. So I started realizing, maybe this is why my friends are so dumb, because they never actually opened their textbooks. It was a fun game, and I would go months, sometimes years, without ever thinking about the game. And then occasionally I would, and I would, I would have these moments of, oh, that was, that was great, would have these fun memories we could look back on. See, we can go months, sometimes years, forgetting how somebody wronged us, or some of our pain. But then occasionally we remember, and we're right back in that painful moment. It's not as fun that time. And the problem is when, when we are told to forget, we're losing something crucial in our life, and that's this, it's restitution. It's the return of something lost or stolen. See, when you were wronged in some way, something is taken from us. Uh, maybe it's financially, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Maybe it's, it's our honor, our pride, our self-respect, our standing in our family, our community. We lose something when somebody hurts us, we're wronged in some way, and we, we want it back. It's not fair that they should do that to us. It's not, it's not nice, and we don't think that we deserve to just have something taken from us, so we want it back. And then we are told, well, you have to forgive and forget, which basically means, well, don't worry about ever getting that stuff back again. So that becomes this new misunderstanding with forgiveness. And that's this, that forgetting means losing what was taken. And we don't like it. Why should I have to just forget about the stuff that was taken from me? Why should I not acknowledge that I was wronged or that was hurt? Why should I just let go and forget about the fact that something was taken from me that was mine and I should get it back? That's not fair. 
Where's the justice in that? And see, that's where the real fear lies when it comes to forgiveness. And that's the reality that forgiveness means letting go of justice. When we are told to put these stones down, we are told, hey, you're not going to get justice. You're not going to get even. You're not going to get back what was taken from you. And that doesn't sit well with us. We don't like the fact that people can do that. So we pick these back up. We start throwing them. We take matters into our own hands. We seek out the justice that we are due. Unfortunately, we don't make very good judges. Uh, Imagine for a second that you stole something from somebody. And then you found out that that person happened to be a judge. And then you go to court and you see that exact same judge presiding over your case. There's no way in a court of law they would let that fly because that judge is not impartial. He's not unbiased. They, they would be seeking to pay you back because they're now emotionally motivated. They were the ones that were wronged. See, we start throwing these stones and seeking out after justice for the people or things that directly hurt us and we're very emotionally driven by it. So our judgment tends to look like something eerily similar to it, and that's this, revenge. Now, revenge has been a huge part of our world for as long as we can remember it's been around. In the medieval times, in the Anglo-Saxon justice system, there was this thing called man price or blood price, and every human piece of property had some sort of price, some sort of value placed on it. And if anything happened to that, you had to pay it back in blood. So if you were to come up here and steal my podium, you have to pay it back in blood. And that was their way of justice. In Japan, honor is a huge part of their culture. And if you're wronged, it looks like your honor has been, been damaged somehow. And so they actually expect you to seek revenge to get your honor back. Revenge is expected in order to get back what was taken from you. We've had stuff that hit very close to home in our history also. Uh, Most of us in the Black Hills know about a man by the name of Wild Bill Hickok, who was famously shot up in Deadwood by another man named Jack McCall. What many people don't know is that initially, Jack McCall was uh, tried and acquitted of the crime of killing Wild Bill Hickok and his defense, seeking revenge. He actually went to a court and told a jury I was seeking revenge and a group of adults decided, okay, we get it, he's fine. That was passable in the court of law. It got so bad at one point in the Old Testament, there were actually rules just to try and keep things in check from getting out of hand. Listen, in Leviticus, it says this, anyone who injures another person must be dealt with according to the injury inflicted. A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Whatever anyone does to injure another person must be paid back in kind. Now we hear this and we think that is extreme. I'm glad it's not like that anymore. But that was way better than what they normally did. Back then, if you hurt someone or harm someone in some sort of way, they just kill you, they kill your family, they kill your dogs, your cow, they burn your fields. They do whatever they want until their thirst for revenge is finally quenched, which normally didn't happen that often. 
Now, you've got to be thinking, okay, this is, it's 2018. Uh, we're much more mature and civilized people nowadays. We would not do something like that. I don't know if that's true. I'll be honest. Uh, nothing, nothing boils my blood driving more than this. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, well, let's get a little bit closer. Uh, right lane closed ahead. Now, a, a common person would believe, I need to get out of the right lane now. I'm going to merge into traffic like a productive part of society. But no, no, you heathens decide, I'm going to try and get ahead of everybody first and then cut in line at the last second. It makes me so mad watching people try and speed up and drive ahead of me to get in before, which I want you to know, if we're ever driving and you do that, I turn into Dale Earnhardt. There is, there is no way you are getting ahead of me. I'll push you into the cones if I have to. I want everyone there to know what you're doing too. My hope is that whoever is trying to get ahead of me instead of just getting in line, I hope you have to, to sit there, that you get stuck. And then this whole line of people is just judging you, looking, being like, oh, what a fool that they got stuck right there. I will publicly shame you if you try and cut me off in traffic. And some of you are like, that is, that is crazy for a pastor to say, but we've all been there. There is... No more time for revenge than when you get behind the wheel of a car and you have to deal with other people driving. But public shaming now is just kind of how we handle things. It is our new sort of justice in our world. And, and if you're not sure if that's true or not, I really don't need to give you any examples to prove that. I mean, turn the news on for like eight seconds and you will hear somebody shaming somebody else that potentially hurt them. Or if you want, just go on a Facebook or Instagram or any of the social media sites and you will find out pretty quickly who was hurt because they're the ones blasting something about how awful something or someone has been to them and how we should all boycott something because they were personally wronged. Public shaming is how we handle all of our revenge nowadays. I mean, if, if you go to a business or a restaurant or something like that and you feel like you were wronged, you'll make sure everybody knows, don't go there. That's, that's a terrible place. They have terrible service. They don't have good people working. It's awful. If you have friends that hurt you or betray you, You'll start to poison the water in your group of friends, just slowly, slowly turning all of your friends against them, just taking those jabs, just taking a few stones and just kind of throwing just casually at that person, letting everyone know that they made mistakes. If a relationship goes south, we are so quick to make sure everyone knows how it was the other person that ruined it. We will constantly get up on our podium and start hurling these stones and making sure everyone knows that person wronged me, they should pay, they should, everyone should look at them and you should know that that person's not good or that thing's not good or I was hurt and everyone needs to know how bad they are. And truthfully, it kind of feels good. I mean, there's a reason they call it sweet 
revenge. There's a reason we like those comic book heroes in the movies where it's all about revenge. I mean, the Punisher, you mess with him, he'll mess with everything in your world. Batman, his whole concept is about seeking revenge, and we love that stuff because finally someone is taking justice in their own hands, and we like the way it feels. And again, if you're thinking, okay, no, no, no I'm a good person, that is that terrible to say, uh, you know, there's actually been studies that have proved that we get a little bit of happiness out of seeking revenge. Uh, there was a study done this last year in Switzerland where they got a group of people together and to play this game, and then they set it up that one of the teams would be betrayed by one of their teammates. And towards the end of the game, all the people who were betrayed had a chance to seek revenge for what had happened. And they were just, they were monitoring these people in their brains the entire time. And they actually found that those who sought after revenge felt happier initially after doing it. Because it does, it feels good. We like knowing that people get what they deserve. We like picking these up and letting them know, hey, you hurt me, so I'm gonna hurt you back. I'm gonna get even for what you did. Sweet revenge. The problem is it doesn't last that long. It actually goes away pretty quickly. You know, that study, they continued to monitor people, and what they found was that the happiness or joy that they felt was very fleeting and very quickly replaced by two other very powerful emotions. There was shame and grief. Shame because they knew what they did was wrong. They shouldn't have gotten payback. They shouldn't have gotten even because nobody wins there. But then grief because they still lost the game. They didn't get back what was taken from them because that's not how revenge works. You know, the sad reality is no matter how many of these we have, how hard we're throwing, how many times we're throwing them, any amount of revenge hurts. See, revenge is always harmful. Think about it for a second. Have you ever tried to get even or payback? Have you ever sought revenge and felt peaceful about it afterwards? Did it ever bring you love or joy? Probably not. It's not how revenge works. Did you ever get back what was taken from you? No. Revenge can't do that. Revenge can only distract us for a little bit from the pain that was caused, but we're still stuck in it. So now, we're just in this cycle of revenge, where somebody hurts us, so we hurt them back. We get wronged by something, so we just start picking these up and throwing them, hoping they will acknowledge what happened, hoping we can get our voice back or our stuff back. And then when it doesn't happen, we feel even worse. So we keep going after justice. We're so afraid to let go of justice that we have become addicted to this idea of seeking revenge. You know, I was reading this article the other day that actually said that the, the new drug of choice in our country is revenge. That we seem to be trapped by our fear, trapped in this idea that we have to get even, we have to get back, we need to seek out justice, and so we just start throwing these things everywhere, and pretty soon we're judging and hurting people that didn't even hurt us to begin with. We're throwing these things at people just because we're so hurt. And we want somebody to be hurt with us. And we want someone to acknowledge that we are in pain. Our fear of letting go of justice has driven us 
to this prison of revenge. See, what if, what if God knew that we, we would trap ourselves? Because see, he warned us. In Proverbs, he actually told us this, your kindness will reward you, but your cruelty will destroy you. See, he knew that there would be times where we just wouldn't be able to put this thing down. And he needed us to understand that it's not just causing them harm, it's destroying you also, no matter the size of the rock. It is destroying you. So what if he gave us some sort of gift to get out of this vicious cycle? You know what I found so interesting was that Again, the, the biblical definition of all six words that define forgiveness was to set free. Because we're setting the person who hurt us free. Well, what if it's not them we're setting free? What if it's us? What if God knew that we would get trapped by this desire to get even, so he wanted to give us an out? And so he was saying, I need you to put this stone down to set yourself free. See, while we may be so afraid to let go of justice, maybe that's exactly what we need to be doing. In fact, I would believe that it's letting go of justice that leads to freedom. You know, justice was never ours to deal with in the first place. You know, in Romans, uh, we were actually told this, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. You know that God understood us so much as the creator of the universe, that he wanted us to understand, listen, I know you're going to get hurt. I know people are going to wrong you. I know things are going to happen that you don't like. But you need to trust that I, as God, am the best judge. That everyone will have to give an account of everything someday. So we don't need to worry about that. So our main focus can be Letting these things go. Making sure that we aren't actually causing other people, including ourselves, to stumble and fall. You know, we were taught forgiveness at an incredibly tough point in history. There was a moment when Jesus was on the cross and he didn't deserve to be there. He didn't do anything wrong, but yet he was up there. He was tortured for hours for doing nothing. He was mocked. He was betrayed. And at the pinnacle of all of that, he didn't throw any of these. And he could have. He probably could have got off the cross and done some real damage if he wanted to. And I think a lot of us probably would have done that. But he said something so profound. He said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
Notice he didn't even say forgive them for doing this and this and this and this and this because we tend to make lists when we forgive people. Why forgive them even though they did this and this and this and this and we still try to find a way to highlight how people wrong us. He didn't say, hey, listen, I'm going to be the bigger man. I'm going to take the high road and I'm going to forgive you guys. No, he didn't even say that. He wasn't trying to make anyone look bad with his forgiveness. He was simply trying to teach us how to set ourselves free to utilize the gift that we were given. What if, what if by setting ourselves free, instead of focusing on getting even and payback and getting someone to acknowledge that we're hurt, what if we could make the greatest impact possible by letting our stones go? Now, I, I heard an incredible story the other day. And it, it, it took place in the 80s in Ireland, and if, and if you don't know a lot of the history about Ireland, from, from the 60s to the 90s, there was just constant violence. There was Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, and, and they were constantly just battling. And it was always these really, uh, you know, violent attacks, normally on citizens, and what would happen is one side would, would bomb another side or, or shoot up some restaurant or something, and then the other side would retaliate and seek revenge, and it was just back and forth, constantly getting revenge. And then something changed amongst all of that. In, in 1987, one of the groups, the IRA, decided they were going to bomb uh, a parade, which was just kind of something they did. So they set all these bombs in all these buildings on the parade route. So that way it would affect and damage as, as many people and stuff as they could. And they set it to go off right before the parade. And uh, obviously there were a lot of people there. And, and one man in particular by the name of Gordon Wilson took his daughter to the parade and sat down right before it started. Sat down right before a bomb went off. This bomb blew up a building right by him and, and then de debris and, and rubble landed on top of people, including him and his daughter. After a little while, they were retrieved and taken to the hospital where Gordon found out that, that his daughter didn't make it. So all these news reporters and stations were there at the hospital to try and get his reaction, waiting to see how he would want to seek out vengeance, expecting him to demand some sort of blood for what had happened. So they asked him, they asked him for some sort of response. And he answered them. It says, Wilson described with anguish his last conversation with his daughter and his feelings toward her killers. He said, she held my hand tightly and gripped me as hard as she could. She said, Daddy, I love you very much. Those were her exact words to me, and those were the last words I ever heard her say. But he keeps talking. But I bear no ill will. I bear no grudge. Dirty sort of talk is not going to bring her back to life. She's in heaven now and we shall meet again. I will pray for these men tonight and every night. At a moment when an entire country is expecting him to seek revenge, he chose to put his stone down. And he didn't need to. 
He had all the justification in the world to start hurling these and ask everyone else to do the same. He was hurt. He had something taken from him that would never come back. But he chose forgiveness. It wasn't long after that that the leader of the IRA, the group that did this, publicly apologized and started talking about peace, eventually leading to an end of the conflict. And, and now, many historians look at Wilson's response to that day as one of the most powerful and impactful events that has ever happened in their country. He changed their country by choosing to put his stone down. I mean, do you think, do you think he lost his voice? Or do you think it was amplified in this moment? Do you think Jesus on the cross when he chose to let go of justice lost his voice? I would argue that he is one of the most well-known people ever in the history of the world. Millions and millions and billions of people have been influenced by his choice to put the stone down. See, the truth is, is we've been hurt. We've all been hurt. We've all been wronged in some sort of way, and if we really wanted to, we have all the reason in the world to pick these up and start throwing them. But what if God gave us something so much better? What if he gave us this incredible gift that could not only free us, but the people around us? That could impact our world you would need to ask yourself then, what am I going to do with this? The truth is, are you going to let go of your stones? Are you going to let yourself stay bitter, demanding some sort of justice, some sort of repayment for what happened to you? People probably wouldn't argue against you, but you could do a lot more if you let it go. So, are you going to let go of your stones? Are we going to take the time to say, God, I, I was hurt, and he knows that. He sees us. He hears us. We are very loud in God's ear, and if you don't believe that, you need to understand that right now, that he knows exactly what has gone on, how you were wronged. And he's not asking you to sweep it under the rug. He's not asking you to pretend like it didn't happen to forget about ever getting back what was lost. No, what he's asking you to do is to drop the stone and free yourself from this cycle of revenge. I don't want to hold on to this anymore. I want to choose something better. We should want to choose something better. So let's do it. And we thought it would be a great moment to give you guys a chance to act on what God is asking us to do, which is why you are all holding stones right now. If you're not holding stones, I can start chucking these at you. If you want, I won't. But if you want to make the choice to let go of the stones that you're currently carrying in your life, we want to give you that opportunity. There's some trash cans up here that as we end today, we can let go of.
We're gonna sing one more song together and at any point during that song, if you are ready to let go of whatever you need to let go of, come do it. But I just, I challenge you, if you're letting it go, don't pick it back up. Don't decide right now, okay, I'm gonna put it, I'm gonna throw it away because I feel really good about this, but then tomorrow if something happens, I'm gonna pick it back up. No, this should be the end of holding on to that stone. This should change us like we've seen it change the world over and over again. Are we gonna let go of our stones? Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, there has been so many times in this world that we've been wronged. So many times where we feel like nobody cares about the pain we're going through that we have to just pretend like everything is fine and it's not fine. So thank you for hearing us, for acknowledging that we, we have pain in our life, that we have been wronged. But thank you so much for being our judge, for handling justice so we don't have to. Thank you so much for giving us this incredible gift to set us free. I don't want justice, I want freedom. I don't, I don't wanna be this judgmental person that everyone ignores because I'm constantly complaining. I wanna be able to impact the people around me because I'm willing to let my stone go. Lord, I hope that each and every person in here is willing to let their stone go. You see what's going on but you've also given us the freedom. So thank you. Thank you for that gift. It's why it's in your name we pray and not anyone else's. Amen.